1 Corinthians 13 is where we will begin this morning. I'm certainly glad to be given this opportunity to be with everyone this morning. Um, Several of you, it's your first time visiting with us and you're passing through or uh, a friend invited you or something. We're glad that you're here. Um, Some of us, maybe this is your second or third time being here. Glad you're here as well. And some of you have been here for a long time or as long as we've been here. So glad everybody's here. If you're ever in town, you're welcome to come back. Um, If you're visiting with us, just know that we're glad you're here. Ask whatever questions you may have about things we do that you don't get or that are different than what you've done. We're happy to, like, uh, explain some of that, why we've made the decisions we've made from Scripture. Um, But this morning, I want to spend a few minutes looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've been here with us more than once, um, you'll know that About every other time that I speak, I speak from 1 Corinthians 13, and my plan has been to go through this chapter. And if you've ever read this chapter before, you might even think about it as like the love chapter, right? Um, Because in this chapter, uh, it really is a, a pretty short chapter, and almost the entire chapter is speaking exclusively about how God looks at or defines love, right? And so every other time I speak or so, I try to look at one quality of love and spend that lesson talking about what that means if I'm going to be a follower of God or a follower of Jesus, right? How do I live out that quality? And so this morning, uh, where we find ourselves uh, in my list, because I've already done several here, is actually at the... um, well, let's read in verse 4 beginning here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. This idea of being resentful is actually what we're going to talk about today. We've talked about every other quality of love leading up to this point um, in these lessons. Your translation may not say resentful. It may say something like love does not take into account a wrong suffered, right? But it's the same idea, right? Holding on to every little wrong thing that's been done to you is what we call resent, right? You begin to resent some one or some situation. And so how is it or why is it that God says that love, right, at least the kind of love that he wants us to have, is not resentful? You guys ever struggle with being resentful? Whether it's against someone for doing something to you, or maybe it's not against a particular person. Maybe it's you're resentful of your upbringing, right? Like just the context of the situation you found yourself in due to no fault of your own, right? Maybe you're resentful uh, of your job title or your pay, right? Maybe you find some resent because you feel like you're worth more than that. I've been wronged because I'm worthy of more, right? Love is not resentful. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. So if you find yourself here this morning because you're trying to develop the characteristics of a true follower of Jesus, then hopefully you're kind of asking yourself, am I resentful? Uh, This morning I want to talk about maybe... um, There's a couple things I want to talk about. I want to explore kind of why does God say this, right? Why does he say love isn't resentful? 
And then what does it look like to actually like be successful in being this way, to live this out, right? So those are kind of the two big areas I want to look at in this lesson. If you're just here this morning because someone invited you or you stumbled here because you found it on the internet or whatever, hopefully this lesson you'll see, one, that the Word of God according to the Bible says that what I'm repeating this morning is true. And two, hopefully it challenges you to consider in your life, like, hey, if I'm going to think about God, maybe I need to think about God in this way, that God wants me to not be resentful, right? Okay, so anyway, like I said, the two things that we're going to look at is why does God say love is not resentful, and what does it look like to live that way, right? So the place that I want to start with this um, is actually... In Psalm 103, it's going to be a little bit further back in your Bible, towards the middle of your Bible, Psalm 103. And uh, it's written by a man named David. David's a a central figure of the Bible story. Um, He was a king of the nation of Israel a long time ago. And he wrote the words of Psalm 103. Uh, But before we read Psalm 103, I want to say this. Why does God say love is not resentful? The first thing that I want to propose to you is this, because it's not how God treats others. In 1 Corinthians 13, when he says love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love, and he goes through all this list, well, all those qualities we know are qualities that God exhibits himself, right? If we know God is love, then if he says love is this, that means God is that thing right? And so if God is not resentful, right, we need to not be resentful. And I'm going to turn to Psalm 103 just to quickly demonstrate how this is true. We could turn to a lot of places to look at this. Um, But if God is not going to take into account or hold a grudge, we might say, right, that's kind of resent. He's not going to take into account a wrong suffered, David would not be able to write the words of Psalm 103 the way that he writes them. Um, and so, do you, do you ever think about sin as being this? Sin, sometimes we think about as just messing up. Like God said to do one thing and I did another and so I sinned, right? But did you know that like if, if righteousness is who God is, right? Like if righteousness is his character, then sin is a personal attack on God's character. You ever think about it that way? Um, it's not so much a choice God makes, it is who he is. So when you sin, you say, I don't want to be or respect who you are, right? And so wouldn't you say that God would have the right to kind of be resentful when we sin? That is a wrong suffered towards him, right? If anyone was going to be resentful, it should be God because that's what sin is. It's an attack or a wrong that he has to suffer from us, right? And so when we look at Psalm 103, look at what David says. I'm just going to read the whole psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all his places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, David wasn't a perfect man. Um, and what I mean by that was he, he did sin. He did things that hurt God. Um, that didn't characterize him, right? Like we wouldn't look at David's character and say he was a bad person or an evil person. But he definitely had moments where he and God butted heads. He definitely had moments where God was hurt by something David did, right? They conflicted. If, if you know David's story, you might be able to think of a few of those times. There was one time in David's life that probably sticks out to those of us who know his story, where he decides to sleep with someone who's not his wife. And when he finds out that that woman is married to one of his best fighters in his army, he decides to have that man killed because he's not able to cover up what he's done, right? That's a pretty bad thing to do, right? Like, he slept with someone who's not his wife and then killed the husband of that woman. Terrible thing. And God says to David, like, you've sinned, right? And when David finally connects the dots and comes to himself, so to speak, he realizes the terrible thing that he's done. What if God decided to be resentful in that moment, right? What would David's story look like as it unfolded further? You know, David kept being the king, so maybe, you know, God says, I'm not going to forget about this, David, so everything that's been good in your life, I'm now going to, like, try to make it bad for you, right? Well, David would have never written Psalm 103, right? Did you see any, like, evil that the Lord had done to David in Psalm 103? Well, certainly David wasn't a perfect man, so where is it, right? When you read Psalm 103, you see things like this. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Does that sound like resent, resentment, holding on to wrongs as a part of God's character? Certainly he remembers, and there's a lot to be said about that, and we'll talk a little more about that in a moment. There's something to be said for 
uh, verse 17, 18, 19, those who do his commandments, right? The Lord looks at them this way. But this idea of like David had done something wrong and no matter how much good he tried to do later, he couldn't cover up the wrong things that he had done. So God had to be willing to let things go, right? He had to be willing to forgive. And that's really a cornerstone of God's character. And that's why God, when he's instructing us, he says we need to be the same way. We need to take on that character of love that God has that when we suffer a wrong, right, we don't hold on to it. Right? And in that kind of the backbone of forgiveness, you can't be a forgiver or be, be forgiven if someone holds on to something. Right? And God teaches us a little bit about that, that idea, because when you look in verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Right? So this begins by God by uh, David saying, God is so loving that look at what he does in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Well, I see a direct parallel to 1 Corinthians 13 in this. This idea that love is tied to forgiveness, right? God is so loving towards those who fear him that he will not resent, right? He doesn't hold on to that transgression, in fact, he takes it and puts it as far away from us as it can be, as far as the east is from the west. Right? And so I think this is interesting because why does God say that love is not resentful? It's because that's how he operates. He's not resentful. Right? Okay, so that's the first point that I wanted to make. And so how does... How does God exactly get to this whole like separating iniquity from us as far as east is from the west? Because if he's going to be forgiving and not resentful, then he has to have a way to kind of deal with this, right? To kind of like bring these two ideas together that like he is righteous, but he's also um, loving. If you want to look in Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23. Um, Luke is in the New Testament. It's one of the Gospels. Towards the end of that book is chapter 23. Um, it says this in verse 33. Luke 23, verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. That's Jesus that they're crucifying. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, or the, the Messiah, or the promised one of God, his chosen one. Right? I think this is kind of the, the reason or the manifestation in a lot of ways of how God does the whole east from west thing. How God takes transgression and sin, and things that hurt him, right? And he says, all right, I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm going to let it go. Is because of what he accomplished in Jesus, right? Jesus lived with that kind of love, that same kind of spirit of God, right? And so when he's being crucified, as people are killing him, during that whole process, he's even saying, Father, please forgive them. 
And then they're making fun of him while he's on the cross, and they're saying he should just save himself, right? Like if he's this great one, if he's this one of God, he should just save himself. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense if you're looking for a sign, right? Like if I want to be proven that this guy is the Messiah, which there's a whole other discussion about that, we'll make something happen. Get down off the cross, right? But to you and me, in the year 2016 in Atlanta, Georgia, many years and many miles removed from this account, right? We look at this and say, well, that's the proof. He didn't pull himself off the cross, right? That proved that he was the Messiah, that he was willing to forgive and die for those that he wasn't going to be resentful of, right? And so I just think just in these two passages, Psalm 103, Luke 23, without spending the whole lesson talking about it, why does God require his followers to not be resentful? Because God clearly wasn't resentful himself. David recognized that, and then Jesus perfected his ability to let things go, to forgive, right? All right, so let's look at another part of this. Why does God say that love is not resentful? One, because it's not how God treats us. Two, it reminds us that others need forgiveness just as we do. Um, if we know that God says don't be resentful, um, that, that's really hard sometimes. I don't know if you guys struggle with that, like not holding on to things in the back of your mind. Like you'll say, yeah, I forgive you, but it's always kind of back there, right? And it kind of informs how you act with them the next time, right? Look at these verses. I think these will be helpful for us. Um, if you want to, since you're already in Luke, turn to Luke 6. It's just a couple chapters before here. In Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 37. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Listen to this part. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. All right. I think this is insight into how this plays out, right? If I'm not going to be resentful, that means I have to, on the positive side, do something, right? The positive of not being resentful is letting things go, or we might say forgiving, right? That's like the positive angle of that. Jesus says in this text that if... We have to forgive, and then what's tied to that? If I can learn to forgive someone else, God will forgive me. So why does God say that love is not resentful? I think, one, it's not how God treats us. But two, it reminds us that others need forgiveness like we do. If I really want God to not hold things against me, then I have to learn to not hold things against other people. You know, this isn't the only place that... Jesus says that, you know, how you forgive people, that will inform or, uh, your relationship with God. He actually says the same thing in Mark, um, the book right before Luke. If you go just a few pages back in your Bible, right before the book of Luke in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says something very similar. Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If we want God 
to forgive us, to not be resentful, right? Not to hold an account the wrongs he suffered from us, then we have to forgive other people, right? We have to not resent other people for the wrongs they may do to us. Uh, okay, so the next point, and the last point kind of in this, why does God say that love is not resentful? I think because um, it helps us avoid sin. So, one, God is not resentful. Two, it reminds us that other people need forgiveness, right? That we need forgiveness. And three, that when we exercise a love that is not resentful, it actually steers us away from other sins. Um, and I think I'll give you a few examples of this. Um, look in, uh, let's start here. The book of 1 John so it's a little behind the book of Luke. If you go further into the Bible, uh, it's going to be a small book. can be kind of tricky to find. It's towards the back. Um, the book of 1 John and then chapter 4 and verse 20. Chapter 4, verse 20. Let's read this together. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If God says love is not resentful, what happens if I resent my brother? Well, God's saying you hate your brother because you're not loving him the way you need to love him. Well, what does God say about hate? Right? That's a sin. You can't hate your brother. You're supposed to love your brother. So if I can learn to love my brother in the sense of I don't resent him, that specific characteristic, then it's going to steer me away from the sin of not loving my brother, right? And it'll steer me away from the sin of not loving God because that's what he connects here. How can you not love your brother and then say you love God? You've seen your brother, you haven't seen God, right? Okay, what about this sin that it can help steer us away from? Um, so one, we won't hate other brother, we won't hate our brother. Two, I think... It'll keep us maybe being from being unnecessarily divisive. Isn't that kind of what resent does? Like if I do something to Ted and it's not the right thing to do, and like he says, oh, you know, like we'll try to make it right, but he always kind of holds on to that wrong that he suffered at my hands. There's going to be kind of a divide there, right? Well, then if I go to Richard and I hurt him, then maybe there's a divide between us because he never really lets it go, right? So now they're divided against me. But what happens if then Richard goes to Angela and hurts Angela's feelings? Well, now maybe Ted and Richard are like, yeah, we don't like Josh. But now me and Angela are like, well, we don't like Richard because he holds on to grudges. Can you see how like all of a sudden there's a bunch of groups of people that don't like each other? Well, that, that is being unnecessarily divided. In John chapter 17... Jesus spends a majority of his prayer in that chapter talking about how he wants the disciples to be unified. He wants to live them in, have them live in unity, to be united and to share, right? To be uh, agreed and cohesive. Uh, the passage that I actually want to read related to that is in Ephesians. Um, I know we're flipping all over the place this morning. Just stick with me here. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. 
Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right? And it goes on to talk a lot about what this means, how you know, those of us who are against God, right? we sin, we're against God. Well, Jesus solves that problem. But then even amongst men, we're divided, right? Some people are Jews, some people are Gentiles. God tears down that wall through Jesus, right? And how we can all be one. You know, when we hold, res- when we hold resent, when we hold grudges, when we consider the wrongs that we've suffered at each other's hands, aren't we kind of rebuilding those walls? We're like undoing some of the work that Jesus died to, to tear away, to, to re- get rid of, right? And so... If we can learn to love without resentment, to let go of the wrongs that we suffer, we'll avoid the sin of unnecessary division, right? Okay? One last example of this uh, is if we can let go of resentment, if we can love that way, we won't be as tempted to seek revenge. Doesn't God talk about that? Uh, When you look in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12... Romans chapter 12. And uh, we're actually going to stay in Romans 12 for the end of this lesson. So just stay here in Romans 12. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When I hold on to grudges, when I hold on to wrongs, that's just fuel that Satan's going to try to use sometimes to get me to seek revenge. Right? Richard hurt me, and so I'm, I'm going to let that kind of sit and bubble for a while until I get angry enough about it that I decide to take it into my own hands, right? Isn't that what revenge is? I decide to get angry enough about some wrong I've suffered to hurt you, to repay evil for evil, right? That's what he's talking about in this text. But if I can learn to let go of resentment, let go of wrongs the way that God does, what am I more willing to do? Well, I'm more willing to live this out, right? I'm more willing to leave it to God. If I can forgive them, then I'll let God handle whatever it is that needs to be handled over there, right? So, why does God say that love is not resentful? Because it's not how God treats us. It reminds us that others need forgiveness, just like us. And it helps us avoid other sins, right? And so God is very wise in, in His character to be this way, right? To, to not have a love that's resentful. Uh, to not have a love that takes into account the wrong suffered. So the last point that I told you guys when we started this lesson that I want to talk about was why does God say this, and then what does it look like to live this out? Um, we've hit on some of that just going through the first part. But I think Romans chapter 12 paints us a good picture of what it looks like to live out the love in this way. I think Romans chapter 12 really is just a good picture of what a Christian looks like, a follower of God. But 
um, zooming in more specifically to how love doesn't resent or hold on to wrongs, look in Romans 12, look in verse 9. Let love, right, there's our word, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Um, that's what loving like God looks like, right? You know, sometimes I say love for a lot of different things, like I love pizza, right? But that's not what we're talking about here, right? I love my dog. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about love as God defines it, as God means it, and as God is, right? And that kind of love hates evil but clings to what is good, right? And that requires me to hate whatever God is against and love God himself. Look in verse 10. It says here, love one another with brotherly affection or love here. That's really the word that's being talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 is this idea of brotherly love. Um, outdo one another in showing honor. Am I going to be able to do that if I resent somebody? Am I going to be able to show them honor if like in my heart, I kind of hate them for how they treated me that one time? No. Right? So this is a positive example of like what resentment will uh, prevent, right? If I hold on to resentment, wrongs, I'm not going to be able to show honor to somebody the way that I'm supposed to, right? Keep moving through this section. Um, verse 11 do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I take this to be if I want to overcome resentment or any kind of negative characteristic that can influence my life, I just need to serve. And I think I come to that a lot in my lessons. I think I always say that. Like some solution overcoming this or that is just to serve. But I think that's genuinely true. I think the more that we just learn to serve people, even people we don't necessarily like, maybe people we don't uh, enjoy being around, maybe people that have hurt us, the more willing we're going to be to let go of that stuff, right? Because we're going to be too busy trying to be productive and helpful to hold on to it, right? So verse 11 tells me that. If I want to overcome any resentment I have in my heart, I need to be fervent in spirit and serve, right? Verse uh, 12 and 13 here. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There's a lot of bullet points in this that I think help us overcome resentment. But if I'm patient in tribulation, you know, there's sometimes where someone hurts you. You know what? They do it more than once. Um, you know, I'm more willing to forgive someone if I know it was kind of an accident. They hurt my feelings, but they're never that way, right? Like, I can forgive you this one time. I have it in me because you've stored up enough good stuff in my heart that I can let that go. But what if it's somebody that constantly hurts you, right? What is he saying in verse 12 that's helpful for that? Be patient in tribulation, in trouble. When someone is hurting me all the time, I would consider that trouble right? Be patient in that, right? Stick with it. Be long-suffering, as it were. But look at the key to this. Be constant in prayer, 
I think if you're going to overcome resentment in your life, especially if it's more than once, right, people keep hurting you. You have to be praying a lot. I don't think there's any way around that. And so I would suggest what it looks like to overcome resentment in your life, it looks like a lot of prayer. Verse 13, it also looks like helping people, contributing to the needs of the saints, showing hospitality. Who likes to invite someone over to your house, eat a meal with someone that hurts you all the time? I don't think anybody in this room would raise their hand. I mean, like, who genuinely enjoys doing that? So why does God say to do that? Like, what sense does that make, right? It looks a lot like Jesus, though, doesn't it? People hurt Jesus all the time and attacked him directly, and he was always eating with people and spending time with those people. And God wants us to do the same thing. It's a grace that we can show the the offenders, right? Finally, uh, we're going to wrap up here. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's hard to do. Don't, Don't curse the people that are hurting you, but bless them. That's a practical application here. Find ways to be helpful and good to them, right? Don't repay evil for evil. Verse uh, 16, skipping down a little bit. uh, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. I think this is a big part of this. If you want to overcome resentment in your life, and love the way God wants you to love, you have to recognize that you're not it. Isn't that kind of what pride is? Pride says, like, I'm the most important thing here. Especially in my life, it is my life, right? So I'm the most important one in this story. But humility says that I'm not. (laughs) That's what humility is about, right? I'm going to let myself be low so that others can be more or better or higher than me. And that attitude doesn't mind being hurt as much, right? The wrongs don't seem as deep and as hurtful when you've already allowed yourself to be low, right? You know, when you uh, poke a balloon, everybody knows when you poke a balloon, right? Because it pops and it makes a lot of noise and it bothers other people sometimes if they're not ready for it. Um, But what if the balloon's already popped and you poke at it? Does it seem like as big of a deal? I think that's kind of a picture of like pride versus humility. You puff yourself up and somebody wrongs you, the whole thing explodes, right? But if you're already kind of deflated, you let yourself be humble. I don't mean deflated in the sense of like sad, but you let yourself be humble. That wrong that would have popped you before is not as big of a deal, right? So I see that in verse 16. And then lastly, verse 21 Do not be overcome by evil. Those wrongs you experience are evil. There's no way around that. But overcome evil with good. Ultimately, that ties into our vengeance idea. But ultimately, whenever you experience wrong and you're tempted to be resentful, your response could be a lot of things. But I'm going to suggest to you, whatever you can figure out is good in that moment you can find something that's good, whatever it is, you should pursue that thing, right? Whether that's prayer, whether that's showing hospitality right then, whether that's extending forgiveness right there on the spot in that moment, whether that's being patient with them, whatever is good, right? Pursue that in that moment instead of pursuing 
what's evil, pursuing, holding on to that wrong, right? Because ultimately, the, the Lord has done that with us, right? The Lord could have said, well, Adam and Eve, you really blew it. I had high hopes for this whole, like, human experiment that I'm doing here. First generation, now it's a wash. Like, it didn't get very far. See you later, right? But we know from the Bible that that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning. We know that God, in fact, from other places in the Bible, seemed to know that that was going to happen before he even started the whole thing and was still willing to do it. And so knowing he was going to be hurt, he could have been resentful before we ever even came around and just not created us, right? He could have been resentful once it actually happened. I just want to, you know, is this going to actually happen? And then just left us to our own devices, but he didn't. He did what was good for us, right? And he sent the prophets, and he sent his son, and he sent the apostles to let people know, right, that the wrongs that we've done against him are not the end of the story, right? And that's what we should let people know. If people wrong us, we don't just write them off. It's not the end of our relationship with them, that we're going to be like the Lord and extend love, right? That's really what it boils down to. We want to mimic Jesus. So hopefully this lesson's been helpful for you. Um, I'm sure we're all in kind of different places as far as like what we believe, who we believe in. If you believe in Jesus, maybe you're a new believer, maybe you've been believing for a long time. Hopefully, wherever you are, you see the truth in this lesson from God's word. You've been able to kind of figure out how it applies to you. You've seen your strength and maybe some of your weaknesses in this lesson, and you can work on those things. But ultimately, what I hope this lesson's been helpful for you in is to be real about, like, resentment is a thing. Don't just overlook it and pretend like you never struggle with that. Be honest with it and be proactive in confronting it the way God wants you to. Um, This lesson isn't about, like, becoming a Christian. But if you're here this afternoon and you're thinking, I've never been a Christian before, that's certainly something that I would encourage you to think about. Um, The Christian life's not easy. This is just one part of it, right? And you're already seeing the challenges that can come with trying to live the way God wants us to. But we know that Jesus says, if we want to have eternal life, it's the only way to go. And so I'd encourage you to think about that this morning. If you want the help of someone near you, you want the prayers of this congregation, something like that. This last song that we sing is kind of your time to think about that, reach out to somebody near you, come forward, whatever it is you want to do, and we'll try to help you out. So anyway, Robin's going to lead us in a song at this time, and this is your time to kind of reflect on this lesson as we sing.